Hi, I'm Will Rust. Hi, I'm Devin Scott. This episode is the second of two that we recorded about films that played in the 2020 Vancouver International Film Festival. This one with director Nietzsche Platzer and sound designer Nayaribe Montero Jimenez about their film Vaiven. We went in to talk about the subject of a quiet in the film's soundscape, but that descriptor was quickly and rightly called into question. And the discussion shifted to how Nisha and Nayu achieved a sense of atmosphere and their main character's inner life through sound. Welcome to Film Formally. Okay, we're going to start chatting about the short film Vivant. We're here speaking with the director, Nisha Platzer. Hello, Nisha. Hello. And the sound designer, and I'm probably going to screw this up. I'm going to make a go of it, and then she can correct me. Nayuribe Montero Jimenez. Have I done? Did I do okay? Ah, that's okay. That's okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> Good enough. Cool. So as we record this, Vivant is playing at the 2020 Vancouver International Film Festival. It already played the festival Doxa earlier this year. And before we get into talking about its sound, could you folks tell us what the film is about? Yeah, sure. Um, Vivan is about a young man whose name is Nori. And uh, Nori is just very, very drawn to trains and the local train station where he lives. Um, in the town near where he lives, he walks to the station pretty much every day just to listen to the trains and feel the vibrations and kind of be with them and witness sort of like the arrival and departure of people around him. As we were emailing about this episode and planning it, you folks provided us with an online screener link to begin with of the film, and we watched it, we made notes on it, all good. Then a while later... Nisha emailed us this. You said, we realized that perhaps your take on it being a quiet film is actually because the version you listen to on Vimeo is in mono. Uh, that is to say, only one channel of sound plays. If you have multiple speakers playing it, they will all play the same sounds. And you sent us an alternate version, two alternate versions of the soundtrack in stereo, that is two channel, and in 5.1 or surround sound. And I think that in itself is really interesting. And we did listen to those, but my overall impression that the movie is filled with quiet uh, didn't change that much personally, but it seemed like you two might be questioning, hey, is this movie even really quiet? <laughs> so I thought I'd ask what you think. What does it mean for a movie to be quiet to you folks? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that maybe the people think that a quiet movie doesn't have dialogues or have changes in the dynamic of the sound yeah kind of there aren't like big jumps in yeah. the audio like between our... quiet and loud yeah that's right but i think <laughs> that in this movie we have a dynamic range that is we have some moments very quiet and calm and another we have a lot of sound and train uh, coming and the volume is very high and so I think that is not a really quiet 
movie, but it doesn't have dialogues, for example. I, I would maybe call it a, like a minimalist kind of movie sound-wise. Like it, it, it's, yeah, it's more minimalist than quiet. It uses relatively few elements, but the elements it does use are very prominent and focused upon, right? Usually it's it kind of, it almost feels, you know, we're inhabiting the characters hyper-focus on one sensory thing at a time. Yeah, like the idea was really just to be completely with him, like to be in his inner world, in his imagination. And so that's, yeah, that's why it's sort of like all of the quote unquote, like real sounds around him are not the focus, are not what we're, what we're really experiencing as the viewer. This touches on so many things about the kind of the paradoxes of quiet. For example, uh, Nayu, you're saying that you don't really think the movie's quiet because it has a lot of dynamic range, which is very true. Um, the the difference between the quiet scenes and the loud scenes is very high. The loud scenes are fairly loud. Totally true. On the other hand, I could imagine a movie with very low dynamic range that is also loud. Even though for me, I'll just say the reason I received the film as fundamentally quiet, uh, my kind of reason was, number one, there are a lot of scenes that are fairly soft, you know, there are train scenes, but I think maybe I'm misremembering, but I think the majority of the of the film is not made up of the train scenes. And because as Nisha said, there's that interior focus. And I think that when we think of loud, often we think of jarring or startling, like that's something we associate with loud. But I'm not saying Nayu that you're the way you're defining loud and quiet movies is wrong. I just think you're really we're immediately getting to the heart of these interesting distinctions and and but i i'd like i'd like to hear more nisha of what you're saying about the focus on being in his head rather than on just the physical reality of the sounds can you tell us more about that yeah i guess nori is a really particular kind of person or character you know like he, um, I felt like there was kind of, he's kind of like, you know, he's, he's 18, but he, he kind of comes across like kind of a young 18. So he's like this young man kind of like in a really, um, you know, at a time of, of transition in his life. But aside from that, just him as a person, like he was kind of kind of always just like in his own world. Like our shoot was very, very hectic in the buildup to it. Like the, you know, we had like very, very, very little time. Like something that I don't think I have shared with you already is that we had a completely other film that we were going to make that uh, a week before shooting our like central characters became unavailable. So we had to do a complete 180 and start from zero and, find you know a new central character and a new story to tell and so it was all of that was really you know there was a lot of anxiety and stress and just kind of like rushing but nori has this calm about him and and he's very magnetic um and i was just really interested in like what is going on in your head <laughs> like so when he starts talking about the train you could just see like his eyes light up and like his whole spirit come alive. And so just kind of wanting to go there with him, his way of experiencing it is so 
sensorial. Like he puts his ear to the train track and he's like making sounds. He's like very, very playful. So yeah, that's kind of like interesting contrast of like the playfulness, but also like kind of a mystery and kind of like a darkness to him as well that we couldn't quite work out. And that was, yeah, I just found really intriguing. One thing interesting about the credits is that you are both credited as co-writers among the four writers of the film. And it's somewhat unusual for um, one of the writers to also be the sound designer of the film. So Mm -hmm. I thought I would ask both of you about the planning process and the writing process and how much were discussions or thoughts about sound happening during the writing stage? Or was that something that was just more conceptual and you kind of left off that till later? I'm always interested about when these ideas enter the process. Nisha says that we have to make a movie one week before we need to shoot. So the sound designer and photographer and uh, editor and the director was the the whole group or the whole crew. And we was creating the concept since the beginning. So we lived together, literally. (laughs) We was working for not just this week, but for uh, months in the school. At the beginning, the sound was not a particular thing to talk in these meetings, but I didn't know what we was going to create. So I record a lot of things, a lot of ambience, to have a lot of uh, options in the post-production because I didn't know <laughs> what, is, what will happen. Yeah, just to chime in kind of about the the shared writing credit, like before we even started on on the first version, the first film that we were going to make, we had talked, the four of us, so Nayu, myself, Angel Suarez is our editor and Maria Gracia Goya is our cinematographer. Um, we had We had had a lot of time together just like talking about broad ideas and themes and we kept coming back to like, themes around transition and transit and transportation and kind of movement. So I think just within like the broader context at the time, Cuba was going through a really severe fuel crisis. And so there was like shortages of everything, you know, which is not something that's unusual for Cuba, but it was even more pronounced at that time. So there was like really, really reduced transportation. People were stranded, like waiting for, you know, a bus or a car or anything. Um, And so, and that actually kind of weaves itself into maybe this kind of a quiet atmosphere, like the train station normally would be a lot busier Hmm. and there'd be a lot more people and noise and bustle. Um, But at that time there were way less trains uh, passing. Um, So that also contributed to this kind of like weird, like abnormal sense. Yeah. We just worked very collaboratively, the four of us from the get-go. For example, we just have one line in all our film. And it was a decision since the the, the editing, but in the post-production of sound too, because we have some scenes 
with dialogues and we decide to to cut off <laughs> and for example in the cow is skin naughty talks with that guy and we cut the the words because we feel that the atmosphere and all the the limbo or the dream atmosphere that we wanted to to construct <laughs> lose all his magic with the words i had a note that even you don't even hear a cow say moo you know there's so little dialogue in the movie <laughs> that even the cows don't talk ultimately we decided like it was just kind of taking you out of that experience of being in his inner world um and that also kind of to note that nori you know he's not an actor and this did become much more of a hybrid kind of kind of doc um you know it's it's definitely not like verite we tried a few different ways like there were days where it was like okay nori like we're going to follow you like lead us and wherever you want to go like you explore and we'll be right with you with the camera and like there was there was like at least one day where he he was like okay and like ran and we were running after him trying <laughs> to keep up like um just like tripping over ourselves oh. trying to yeah trying to keep up with it very long legs so <laughs> <laughs> i'm very tiny <laughs> i'm very tiny well, so. and also now you, you were attached to the camera so you were like with all of your cables and everything like trying to <laughs> yeah one of my favorite things to study in a given film is how it uses footsteps um how they how the footsteps are sound designed and like it's always always whenever i'm sound editing something my least favorite part is always the footsteps but then i love mixing them <laughs> the reason being that how you decide to mix the footsteps what perspective you have on them how loud they are i think says a lot about how you're asking the viewers to take in the world that you're putting in in front of them so, for example, there's a version of this movie, I think, where every footstep on the rocks is just this big crunch, crunch, right? Like every single step is like is 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 almost this percussive blast. But in the case of this film, the footsteps, it seems to me, are really frequently de-emphasized. They're they're very soft. You just hear a little bit of the soft scraping. Yeah, like I think when when you're talking about the footsteps being light, I'm kind of thinking about his movement being kind of like a floating kind of in between like there's all this waiting right like there's like mm. so much sense of waiting in the film and then i think just kind of like in gen generally speaking for for like a young person in cuba there's so much waiting and so much kind of uncertainty uncertainty connected to that and that it's like he's he's got these like long limbs he's kind of like yeah he's lanky but he's quite gentle um he's like a very very gentle presence and and person i think yeah the sense of like being alone in a crowd and kind of like you know with that like the scene where the train arrives and all these people get off the train and he's there but you don't really you don't hear this chatter or like loud sounds of people around him because he i always felt like he was trying to connect but he was so 
in his own world that he couldn't quite like he was, I kind of felt like this, like going to the trains in this very regular way was Mm -hmm. an attempt to connect. Like when I first met him, he was just sitting alone in the train station and I went up and started talking with him and we ended up just like going and walking along the train tracks for a while and chatting and getting to know each other. And I shared with him that I also had this affinity for trains and train station, particularly train tracks. Um, It's something that is part of another film I'm making about my brother who died many, many years ago, but um, like the train tracks and train stations kind of being like a connection to what's come and gone. So there's that element that I kind of felt like we, we had in common. And then also he, he actually had, a kind of spirit about him. He has a spirit about him that reminds me a lot of my brother. Mm. He couldn't even put into words why he wanted to go there. Like what he loved about, about being there was, yeah, not something he could really talk about. Like he was just kind of like, you could just see it. Like every time a train arrived, it was like, it was the first time he'd ever seen one. Right. It's not something you can talk about. So no, no one talks. Ecstatic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. (laughs) Now, I'm curious, uh, do you have any thoughts on the footsteps? Because I was kind of imposing my reading onto the footsteps a little bit. I record a lot of steps. I record a lot of uh, things with our character to have to the post-production. In the train station, it was very particular. He It has this crunchy or, uh, I don't know. Oh, like that gravelly sound. Gravel, yeah. gravel, yeah, yeah. yeah. This gravel. So... Uh, in these particular moments, uh, we have the footsteps in the gravel, and it's uh, a little bit normal. It's a little bit natural. And in other uh, moments, like with the cows or uh, inside a tunnel or uh, with uh, people around him, um, we have these moments that it isn't natural or it's more like a, a dream or an atmosphere or, an, or a strange uh, moment when we emphasize these uh, interior moments or this journey inside his mind, for example. think a lot of the time what we think of as quiet sounds aren't even if they're not quiet it's just sounds we associate with quiet places or mm-hmm. quiet things right like um uh, the sound of a yeah. uh, cat purring for example isn't loud but if you turn up the volume on it in your in your film sound mix and you uh give it a really high decibel level then like yeah it can get really loud but just because of our associations attached to that thing, it might come off as quiet. Unless you put it over an image of a motorcycle, in which case people will think it's a revving motorcycle engine and they'll think, oh, that sound is really loud. This gets at the question of like, what is volume? (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, because I often see volume as how loud something is relative to the sounds around it, which means that like, like, I mean, I think of like an, 
like a music album with very low dynamic range, like metal machine music or something, which has mm-hmm. almost no dynamic range. It's the exact same volume the entire time. If you listen to it and it's quiet, it'll you know pass unnoticed. But if it's loud, it'll be the it's the worst experience ever. I don't recommend it. But the, <laughs> the thing that makes it interesting is that it's always the same volume level the entire time, as far as I know. And so I can't answer if that record is loud or quiet. Um, you know, you have that standardized decibel range, right? Where you have the zero on digital where that's yeah. peaking. So, you know, if I'm talking to my mic like this, you know, I just peaked on my meter there. And, um, but I wasn't talking any louder. I was just closer to my mic. So um, are loud sounds only measurable compared to the sounds around them? Uh, that, you know, that that's why the cricket thing I think is interesting because um, like, for example, when you're in the middle of the country, right? You, you hear crickets, but you really only hear them because there's no louder sounds around to drown them out. If you're on a highway, the crickets are probably still there. They're just drowned out by the very large death machines driving by. Yeah, there's lots of interesting science out there that I'm not qualified to talk about, about like our perceptual hearing and perceptual loudness. And it gets into some weird, crazy stuff that I'd love to learn more about someday and just apply (laughs) it to movies in weird ways that hopefully don't hurt people. (laughs) I mean, this gets at a really like, you know, health thing for me right because um i I have hypersensitivity to loud sounds but only if i don't expect them Mm -hmm. so i'm I'm in a rock concert i'm actually ironically fine even though it's much louder than like a car passing by you know um i'm I'm, if i if i know a song for example i know it's going to be loud so therefore i can mentally prepare myself but if i'm on the street and i you know, and you know, an idiot in a Harley passes by. Um, I, I, it's ear splitting, and I can't stand it, and it feels like a hit slap in the face, right? Um, but that is not louder than the rock concert. So, is that actually? Is it situational? You know, anyways, I have no good answers here. I, I, I throw it to the people <laughs> who are more qualified than me. <laughs> in 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 my in my life here in Costa Rica, I learned that, for example, in the very early morning <laughs> uh, the birds wake up me because they are singing too loud <laughs> too, oh. too loud <laughs> more more than my cell phone for example so at, uh, at 5 or at 5 30 the birds start to sing and I can't sleep so what is quietly why what is the nature is being in the middle of the, nat- the nature, it's uh, to stay in a quiet place? I don't know. I don't really know. Um, just while we're talking about like, yeah, like relativity and everything, I thought um, I would just shout out to uh, like our sound mixer who worked with, with Nayu in the mix, um, Marcela Navio Miranda, who, you know, it was mostly Nayu Ribe and and Marcela would be working and I would come in and like, watch and see and see and stuff but maybe like now you can talk a little bit about like their collaboration and that because that was the time when it was like what's loud and what's less loud and how are we gonna kind of like um, yeah yes please yeah how are we gonna make those decisions um we was playing what's the best uh, level of the volume (laughs) for each part each part has his own life or his own atmosphere the soundscape was fluid i think that it was um, a good word to to describe 
it was fluid. Yeah. It, it doesn't have abrupt changes. And maybe because of this, we can't note this dynamic range because it's very uh, fluid and it's progressive. Yeah, you don't notice it going from loud to quiet when it's, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, and that brings up another, the only really big abrupt sound change is, uh, I mean, maybe I just like loud stuff, but no, I, I my favorite moment was the very end of the movie where he's standing by the tracks and you don't see the train coming, but he's watching the train, waiting for the train to end. And you don't see the train. You can very faintly hear it, though. You can hear it a little bit in the surround channels. I think you can hear a little bit in the stereo and front channel. Like It's just like the train very faintly. And it's you can't quite tell where the train is just by listening. Um, which the convention, I think, in surround mixing is like, okay, where's the train? It's behind the camera and to the right. Okay, put it behind, like put it in the back right speaker. But that's, it's just like kind of indistinct. And then right as the train is passing him, two major things happen. One, it the dynamic shifts way up. It just suddenly gets really, really loud, really, really fast, faster than it would in quote unquote reality. Um, and the second thing that happens is that rather than it kind of being indistinctly coming from all directions in the surround mix, everything just flattens right into the center. So it gives this impression of like it coming right at you. And that was the one moment in the movie when while watching it in surround sound where I had a really distinct impression of the volume level changing. And it, I don't think it was because it's actually louder than it is in the mono or stereo mix. It's just that because of the direction of it, it just screws with your sense of where it is and it messes with it. So when a sound surprises us, like we were saying, when it when we don't expect the shift, when that happens, it's it's we kind of perceive it as louder. Now, another choice that I made um, was I record a lot of ambience uh, into the tunnel that we what that we saw in in I think two moments in the film mm -hmm. a place a dark place uh, it has a lot of reverb and and I put this strange and strangers uh, ambience for the exteriors or for the outers so to have this atmosphere that we have some birds or some crickets, but it wasn't the regular birds or the regular crickets because it has a lot of reverb. And we didn't know, we didn't know this. We just feel that something is not normal, that we, it, it's not a conscious uh, sensation. Yeah, we had also talked about like asynchronicity between the audio and the visual of kind of being like, you know, like the audience doesn't need to be told twice what's happening. Like they don't need to be told in the, in the visual and the audio, like there's a bird, let's film a bird and hear a bird. Like, like I really appreciate when films kind of like trust like the intelligence of the audience to be like, you know, able to handle only hearing or only seeing something and, and then giving it more layers by, you know, like hearing the train when we're not seeing the train, we're seeing his face or his hands or something like that. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a musical term for this, like harmony and homophony, right? The idea being that like the harmony, a harmony is like you have like multiple different uh, notes uh, occurring in consonance with each other. So like by being different, they're more interesting and full. And then there's versions where like you'll have multiple instruments or voices all playing the same note. And that is usually less interesting <laughs> because mm -hmm. they're all just in unison presenting the same information. Yeah. 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 And it also kind of helped us create that like slightly off, slightly strange, even disturbing ambiance. Whereas like, it's like, not everything is the same. I feel, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Unbalanced. Yeah. There's a tension between like, oh, I can't see what I'm hearing or I can't hear what I'm right. seeing. Why aren't the cows mooing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a similar idea with shot reverse shots in movies to me where shot reverse shots when I'm cutting are like the hardest thing to cut in anything I ever do. And that's because there is a constant tension. Anytime you're looking at one shot, you're always tense about, okay, what's going on with the other shot? What's the other person? How's the other person reacting? And then when you cut to the other shot, the tension immediately shifts to the other side. Maybe that principle holds true with that, right? With the idea of if the audio is never reflected or is often not reflected in the visuals and the visuals are often not reflected in the audio, then it creates a similar tension of what is not being presented to you versus kind of the correlating element, right? As far as the elements, visual versus sound. The thought we had earlier, collectively, about um, the nature of this film, how it focuses in on certain sounds at the exclusion of others, where um, it, it actually brought to mind a concept that we talked about in our um, Walter Murch episode from how long ago was that? Very long ago. And that's um, Walter Murch's idea of uh, aural depth of field. And that was in American Graffiti, he would use reverb to create the sense of depth in the audio. Well, I think if that's aural depth of field, this sounds like aural focal length, where, you know, this almost feels like the equivalent of a very long telephoto lens, uh, aurally, where it's, you know, you're excluding, you're still filming in the same direction, but you're excluding everything around the thing you want to focus on. Mm -hmm. you're yeah, you have the blinkers, the blinders on. Um, and that's I, certainly a, a very, a very, um, simplistic observation but maybe it's a good phrase to describe it and i think that that we exclude some sounds but not all sounds around him because uh we have all the ambience we have the birds we have the crickets we have the wind we have all these things and um we just cut the human sounds <laughs> or right. the civilization sounds <laughs> to make these atmospheres the the loneliness the limbo the dream atmosphere the um, and emphasize nori in his journey i was talking with a friend who is also also works in sound um earlier this week and he noticed that the only line of dialogue that there is in the film is about how the train is not coming. Like it's kind of about this absence. And I think that's kind of interesting to think about with, with just what we're talking about with the absence of like quote unquote real sounds, but also just 
why he's in the station in the first place. And that like, there is an absence either of like connection or of certainty, but um, you're still saying something even when you're not saying anything. Now that people are watching movies from home, mostly, some people are going to theaters, but most people now are watching movies at home more often than in theaters. Do you folks think that the fact that we're in our living rooms when we watch movies is changing how movies sound to us? And I'm not just talking about, is it 5.1, is it stereo? But I mean, all things being equal as far as that's concerned, is our thoughts about the sounds of what we're watching different? Has it changed, do you think? Yeah, I think we can't control the environment that people are watching the film in. Uh, like we could if if we knew they were watching it in a cinema. And of course, people at home are, you know, they're distracted by their phone or the, their kids or their pets or whatever is happening around. Like, so you don't have. Or you're in an apartment building where you have to play it super quiet. <laughs> so you don't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think that we need to give to, to the people the best sound that you can make. Obviously, always it's gonna be better that the people could, could listen to the, to the movies with earphones, <laughs> with some kind of earphones to have the whole vibrations and the whole experience. Yeah, we need to mix different, but I don't think that we need to uh, limit our design because of that. I think that we need to mix in a different way, maybe louder, maybe with more emphasis in some frequencies because of the, this kind of speakers. But I don't think that we need to change the original experience or the original dynamic range or at least not to, to change the sensations that we want to, to express. Yeah, this actually, I mean, this, I feel like I've made this comparison many times today, but this really reminds me of when I'm, again, doing color and, you know, uh, I have the talk with the director about, oh, should we make this whole thing just really bright and make the colors muted or saturated because people will be watching on their phones? Um, and then I'm always, you know, I'm kind of like similar to um, both of you. We shouldn't solve all the corners of this <laughs> just because people might be viewing it in suboptimal conditions, maybe. Um, but, you know, then I watch it on a TV that's not calibrated well and I get scandalized, so who knows? <laughs> do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> the ways that people can see the film. It's going to be um, at Festival Nouveau Cinema out of Montreal. Um, it was going to have an in-cinema screening and I was going to go to Montreal and present it, but Quebec is now in under code red and everything, uh, there are no, everything's shut down for the next month in Montreal. So we hope that they are all doing okay. But um, it's available online through Festival Nouveau Cinema all across Canada uh, from October 7th to 31st. Uh, and then if you are in Victoria, you can see it in real life at Antimatter on October 23rd. And if you're in Toronto, you can see it in real life through Alucine uh, Festival at Paradise Cinema. And that's all I know for now. 
more announcements to come, hopefully. Cool. Okay. Um, in that case, I'm going to move on to the wrap up here. Uh, thanks both for joining us and talking about sound and talking about Vivan and its atmosphere and its perspective and the process of making it. It's always fun to just kind of do a post-mortem and disassemble a film in these chats. So thank you both for bringing your experience to that. Thanks for tuning in. Paige Smith is our associate producer. We love when you rate us on iTunes and when you leave a review too. That helps folks discover our pod. And if you didn't know, we have a Patreon account now where you can chip in monthly to help keep the show going. And there's some pretty neat perks too. That's at patreon.com slash filmformally. Thank you to all our patrons who are already helping us keeping this thing going. You can find us on social media on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at filmformally. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. And next time around, we're going to be talking about concert films, including the new Spike Lee joint, American Utopia. See you next time.